So today's message comes from Graham, son of Don, son of Norman, son of Ernest, son of David, son of Thomas, whose father lived in Wales. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will put aside the distractions of the week and of life, that we will open our ears to hear, our eyes to see your truth and our hearts to love. Amen. Well, stories of faith are powerful, aren't they? And we've heard a number of them this year already, and even the few that Pam shared with us this morning are incredibly powerful. Um, last week, of course, we heard from Val and from Caleb as they shared a bit about their faith in Jesus and what that means to them. And over the years, we've heard many different stories of faith from our church family, and they encourage us and they inspire us in our own faith. And we can't move through a year where we focus on faith for today without sharing stories. And certainly without hearing some stories from characters in the Bible, how they lived and how they served God. And as Pam mentioned, we're looking now at Abraham. He's a central character of faith in the Bible. He's mentioned many, many times. And in many ways, he's considered the father of faith. The story of Abraham is found in Genesis. And as Pam mentioned, the title of this series is Abraham, Genesis of Faith. You get the little play on words there. It's very clever, isn't it? Now, Abraham lived at a time when God, our God, the one true God, was largely unknown in culture. And people at the time created their own gods and idols and worshipped those. And Abraham's family of origin was a family that did just that. But God called Abraham out of that and Abraham responded. Now we could follow the story of Abraham by reading through the book of Genesis. And I encourage you to do that at home in your own reading time. Look through Genesis and read the story of Abraham. It will help you follow the series. But just to do that misses a really significant part of the bigger picture. And let me explain. In Genesis, we read that God made a promise to Abraham. It was called a covenant, an agreement between God and Abraham, where both sides had some kind of responsibility and they went into a partnership together. Many of us here would already be in some form of covenant though we may not call it that. For those who have a mobile phone, you enter into a contract where you agree to pay the service provider some money and they agree to provide you connection to a network. If you have a driver's licence, you're in a covenant with the New South Wales State Government where you agree to pay them a fee for your licence to obey the road rules, to be a responsible driver, and in turn they give you permission to drive on the roads and that they will maintain the roads <laughs> to the best of their ability and organise the, uh, the laws and the rules around driving. If you have a home loan, you go into a fairly big and significant covenant with a financial institution where they agree to loan you money to buy a house and in return you get to buy a house and live in that house Oh, and pay them back with interest. 
many of you would have signed an employment contract when you uh, started a job. And that contract outlines what the expectations of you are as an employee, what you must do, and what your employer will do to care for you and to pay you. For those who are married, you're in a covenant relationship there where you agree with another person to live together faithfully, love each other, care for each other and serve each other. And even if you've signed up for something on the internet, you've carefully read all the terms and conditions before you click I agree so that you can continue. So in all of these examples, we are provided with something, but in return we also have responsibilities. And when a covenant or a contract is working, there are benefits for both sides and there's harmony between them. But when it's broken, there's disagreement, there's conflict uh, and dispute. And if we break our end of the bargain, then often we lose the service that the provider was going to give to us. And there might be even a, a financial compensation we have to pay. Um, and there can be even legal implications as well. So in the covenant with Abraham, God promised to bless Abraham, to give him a family that would grow into a nation too numerous to count all the descendants. And he would give them land where they could flourish. And from that nation, all nations of the world would be blessed. From a man to a family to a tribe to a nation to all nations around the world. So through Abraham's faith and family, God began restoring the blessing that was lost when sin entered the world. God's covenant is all about relationship. He wants to draw us into relationship. So Abraham's part of the bargain was to trust God, to train his family to do the same, to do what was right and just and to obey God. And God wanted for the future nation of Israel to be his people and that he would be their God. And the Israelites' desire to see that fulfilled was what inspired them and led them and motivated them when they escaped Egypt and spent 40 years in the wilderness going to the promised land. It was always that promise of the promised land that kept them going. And they got their continued possession of the land and prosperity in that land, of course, depended on their ongoing commitment and obedience to God. And if they broke the covenant, they would experience consequences, the worst of which would be exile from the promised land. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll be only too aware that the people of Israel could not keep their end of the bargain. They couldn't remain faithful to God. And he eventually allowed them to be taken away from the promised land into exile. So the Old Testament is a record of the nation of Israel struggling and failing. They couldn't keep their covenant with God. And it paints a bleak picture. By contrast, the New Testament shows that Jesus Christ keeps the covenant on behalf of the people. He does for the people what they cannot do themselves. So the fulfilment of God's plan of restoration is Jesus. 
who spoke of his blood being a new covenant, a new way of entering into a relationship with God, one where our end of the deal is met by Jesus. And all we have to do is accept forgiveness and give our lives wholeheartedly to him. So to look just at the story of Abraham and his faith by reading Genesis misses the point of the real fulfilment of the covenant. The real way to relationship with God is through Jesus. So for the next weeks, our focus on Abraham will be from the perspective of the New Testament where the faith of Abraham and the covenant between him and God is recorded with the insight that the New Testament writers had of the new covenant. It gives us the complete picture. There's over 95 references to Abraham in the New Testament, so there's plenty to choose from. And this morning I want to look at the very first mention of Abraham in the New Testament. It comes from the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament. So on one page we're reading the Old Testament, flip over the New Testament and Abraham is mentioned straight away. These are the opening words of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David, David and of Abraham. And it continues, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That continues for 16 verses until it gets to Jesus. Now think about all that is contained in the New Testament. There's the birth of Jesus his life, his teachings, his many miracles. There's his death and the resurrection. There's the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts and all the amazing happenings in the book of Acts. There's the missionary journeys. There's powerful teachings in the New Testament letters to various churches and individuals, not to mention the incredible mysteries of the book of Revelation. It's an incredible collection of work. Matthew Chapter 1, verse 1 is not very gripping. It's not a riveting start to the New Testament. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but who here has ever come to a genealogy in your reading of the Bible and skipped over it? (laughs) I didn't ask for hands, but they're going up. (laughs) You know, students at school are taught if they're going to do a narrative, that's a story that tells a story, a piece of writing that tells a story, they've got to have a gripping opening. Perhaps you're familiar. Did, what did I say? No. Oh, you're right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I heard a comment somewhere. Sorry. Perhaps familiar with some of these. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Esmond, and Lucy. Anyone know where that comes from? The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Here's another children's book perhaps you read when you were younger. Sophie Couldn't Sleep. Anyone know where that comes from? The BFG, the big friendly giant. This is not a children's book. 
the great fish moves silently through the night water, propelled by short sweeps of its crescent tail. Any guesses? There's Jaws. It was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. It's 1984 by George Orwell. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and prejudice. All children grow up except one. Peter Pan. Where's Papa going with that axe? said Fern to her mother as they were setting the table for breakfast. Charlotte's Web. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis. They're very engaging openings to stories. But of course, the New Testament writers were not about mere entertainment but recording the amazing life of Jesus. So when we really consider it and look at it carefully, the opening to, Mark's, uh, to Matthew's Gospel is quite remarkable. I don't mean to downplay it at all. After all, the Bible is the only book that contains the words of life. But understand that Matthew was writing to people who were steeped in the Jewish faith. And for centuries, they'd read about the Messiah, and straight up, this first verse of the New Testament reminds the Jews of the covenant that God made with Abraham many, many years ago. And it forms a connection between their long-held beliefs and Jesus, who is the fulfillment of their faith. And that theme is the whole point of Matthew's gospel, and it continues through the New Testament as well. And of course, in that short verse, there's a mention of King David. And that's also significant because God had promised David, made a covenant with David, that one of his descendants would be king always. And the genealogy confirms Jesus as a legitimate heir to the throne of David. Every story that is meaningful and relatable has to have names. They make the story personal. I heard a comment this week. Uh, a person said that names are the most personal form of speech. Names are the most personal form of speech, and I agree. When someone knows your name, it creates a personal connection. You can only imagine what it would be like if, if you were joining a crowd wanting to see a famous person, and as that famous person walked past, they stopped, and they had an interaction with you, and they called you by name. And then next day in the newspaper, there's a report of the visit of that famous person to the area. And the interaction they had with you is mentioned in the newspaper. And your name, again, is recorded. Names are a crucial part of the Bible story. And God tells his story along these relational lines. Why? Because God's story is about people. It's about you and it's about me. In the whole Bible, there's 25 genealogies. Ten are in Genesis alone. And two of the Gospels open this way, Matthew and also in Luke. And in our culture, genealogies are not that important. 
Perhaps the way I started this message was interesting to you because it was a bit unusual. But to be honest, which of you here really cares who my great-great-great-great-grandfather was? And I have to admit, I actually had to track down some family records to find out myself. (laughs) I couldn't go beyond my grandfather's name in the generations. And even if you had some minuscule degree of interest, knowing all of those names doesn't give me any status or credibility. But in Bible times, when it came to who you were, family was everything. Perception, status, opportunity, livelihood, and even the right to own land all came from your family line. And the record of Jesus' lineage to Abraham was a crucial connection for the Jewish nation who considered Abraham the founder of their faith. And even the term that's used in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus is important. And the fact that it's a record means it's indisputable. It's not someone's opinion. It's not a story. But it's an accurate and accepted way of verification of who someone was, in this case, Jesus. But a genealogy in the Bible, even in Bible times, was a bit like a Facebook or a LinkedIn profile. Selectively honest. Leaving out the non-flattering details. And this is what makes Jesus' genealogy from Abraham to himself even more remarkable. Because it included things that you would not normally see in an Old Testament or a New Testament genealogy. It included reference to Gentiles. Now that's the broad term given to anyone who wasn't a Jew. The Jews did not like the Gentiles. They despised them. They saw themselves as the chosen race and any other people were inferior. In fact, if a Jew came in contact with a Gentile, they had to cleanse themselves before they could go back into the temple again. Jesus' genealogy also included women. Women were seen as second-class citizens and were not worthy of a mention, despite the fact that pretty near 100% of the world was born through a woman. They weren't included in a genealogy, but Jesus had them. And the genealogy also had what would be perceived as sinners, people who didn't live up to standard. Some examples. Tamar is mentioned. She disguised herself as a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law, who was Judah, one of Abraham's great-grandsons, and she became pregnant to him. Shame on them both. But there she is mentioned in the genealogy. Rahab was a prostitute. and She saved the Israelite spies when they were in the city of Jericho. She's mentioned in Jesus' lineage. Ruth was a foreigner, a woman from another country, a Gentile. She became the great-grandmother of King David. And David, of course, who's remembered as a man of, of, after God's own heart, who was also an adulterer and murderer. All these people are mentioned in the genealogy from Abraham through to Jesus. So anyone trying to manufacture an impressive genealogy would have left many of those details out. We'll just skip over that bit. 
or mention somebody else instead. But it's on record that God's story includes everyone who has faith. It includes everyone who has faith. Everyone from Abraham through to Jesus and now on to each of us. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that the family Jesus comes from tells us everything about the family Jesus came for. A family that includes everyone. It especially includes those who felt that they never could belong. So if you find yourself somewhere on that list, you can find yourself in the family of God. It tells us that you and your story and your faith are part of God's story. Just think, Abraham having faith ultimately made a pathway for others to connect with Jesus. And likewise, your faith can draw others into relationship with Jesus. Your faith is not about yourself. It's part of God's bigger story. It also tells us that nothing about your story is insignificant. Make it count by sharing it to encourage and build others up. Your story is not over yet, and it's more than just right now. Your story is before you knew Jesus. Your story is how you came to know Jesus. Your story is the difference that that made in your life. Your story is how you've grown. Your story is how you've failed, big time or small. Your story is how you've been forgiven. Your story is the way Jesus will lead you into tomorrow. Your story is not perfect, but no one's is. But it does speak of the faithfulness of a perfect God. Graham, son of Don. Son of Norman, son of Ernest. Son of David, Son of Thomas, whose father lived in Wales. I had a chance to visit visit the small village church in Wales a few years ago where my ancestors lived. Thanks, Cameron. Some of those headstones in the graveyard there, they had Evans on them. One was Samuel Evans. I didn't tell my son about that. His name is Sam. Now, I don't know much about those ancestors. We do know that that was a church they attended. But I don't know the houses that they lived in, what they were like, whether they were wealthy or whether they were not. I don't know what they did for a living. I don't know about their joys and their sorrows. And I don't know what their faith meant to them. But I am grateful that perhaps to some small degree, and I'll probably never really know, that their faith, their story has had an impact on me. However, more than that, I'm grateful that the faith of Abraham has blessed every nation of the world and that Jesus has done what we couldn't do by making a way for us to be in everlasting 
relationship with God. I'll ask the band to come forward. I want to encourage you this morning to consider what your faith story is. It doesn't have to be incredibly amazing, but it's part of God's bigger story. And if we don't share that, then we're missing opportunity to uh, help others to grow and to encourage them and to inspire them. I heard a challenge from a speaker from a podcast I was listening to this week, and he was asking uh, church leaders to just spend time listening to how often they could hear faith stories being shared as people mingled after church. And uh, often it doesn't happen. But I want to encourage us to be people who share our faith, who share our story, knowing that Jesus is the ultimate reason we have that relationship with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the generations of faithful people and their stories. Bible people like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Lord, I thank you for our own church family too and the stories that they share of faith that build us up and encourage us. And Jesus, more than anything, may our faith stories bring others into a relationship with you. And mostly, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who made all of this possible, who is the one who fulfills the covenant of blessing. Amen.